0: Number 13.
1: 13.
0: When are we going to end the season? They have seasons apparently in podcasts. Oh, I, have no idea. I have a hard enough time keeping up with what, what, what episode uh, it is. <laughs> yeah, maybe the end of the year we'll start a new season. Although, for my brain, we're going to have to end on an even number, otherwise, oh. I won't be able to handle it. Oh, goodness. But, anyways, episode 13. Welcome back, everybody, um, to the After Class Podcast. Um, today, we are going to be answering the age old question of. How do I get my dog's contacts to be consistent in both trialing and training? Mm. This is a big one. We get asked about this so much because so many people have awesome contacts in training, practicing, and then when they go to a trial, it is... Blows up. Bye-bye, baby. Mm. Bye-bye, birdie. Bye-bye, doggy. (laughs) Whatever the saying is. I know it's not bye-bye, doggy, but that's the most relevant in our situation. Mm. I'm getting weirder by the minute. You sure are. It's okay. Okay. Um, So we're going to talk a little bit about about that topic. Um, There's lots to unpack here. Uh, Let's just dive right into why the biggest reason why we think dogs do not have reliable contacts in uh, trialing. Consistency. What do you mean? Letting things go. Mm Mm-hmm. So what we mean by that is what a lot of people will do in trial, because if you think about it, a trial is a test, right? You're not training. You don't have food or toys or anything. You're thinking about moving forward, finishing the sequence, adrenaline, getting the cue. That's right. And so what happens is when the dogs make a mistake and they break early, they jump right over the contact, whatever it might be, most people will just continue moving forward rather than fix. However, if you were in a class or if you were training, you would all you would normally, hopefully, not let that go. You would go back and address it. So what happens with dogs, and this happens with all behaviors. It doesn't even need to be agility. It's why dogs learn to come when they're called perfectly in class, but then can't come when they're called when they're uh, in the forest. Mm -hmm. It's because dogs are situational and they can learn that there are multiple sets of rules. We also know some dogs will have great contacts for a person and then for another person, they will not. It's it's situational. They learn they learn different body sets language of rules. too. Body language can be a huge thing mm-hmm. that can uh, um, excite them or pull them off or saying your release word and moving at the same time. Yeah, we should actually get more mm-hmm. into that one because that's yeah. a actually a super brilliant point that we should expand on a bit more. Um, but yeah, that's that's the one of the biggest reasons is consistency. People um, just sort of let things go. The other thing that I find happens is. Um, when I watch people run in a trial, they don't always um, have the dog meet criteria before they release. So they do what we call early releasing. So the dog like gets a paw into the yellow zone and then people are like, okay, and they go to the next thing. Or the most common thing is the dog drives down to the bottom, but then they stop Just above, like instead of having their front feet on the grass and And then then people will release or the dog comes off to the side and people will release. So what happens is there's all these gray areas. Actually, people do that in class sometimes too. And we have to, we have to, you know, get on them about that. Um, But if you have a different criteria that you expect from the dog, um, or you're not even paying attention to the criteria, maybe you do have a criteria, but you don't even realize that it's happening. Yeah. (laughs) Go back and watch your videos. If you video, you should video. We're very big advocates of videotaping, Uh, but you should videotape your trials and watch your timing of your release are you early releasing what's your dog doing when you say okay are you even saying okay (laughs) like sometimes people just run and they don't give their target command like they're so focused on going forward that like everything that they've trained their dog to do is just totally out the window so Mm -hmm. consistency and um, reliability are entirely dependent on you as the handler and your expectations and what your follow-through is going to be so i would say that's the, the big thing um The other thing with trials, to speak about trials specifically, is um, the dogs really need to be trained to a level that they're ready to be tested. It could be something as simple like weaning off the target plates or your stride bars for your running contacts or whatever it might be. Um, Or um, we talked about this very briefly in the last podcast, but uh, for me, my dog hasn't been in a lot of different types of contact equipment, which affected her um not really her contact criteria per se on the stop contacts, but like her balance was a bit off because it mm-hmm. was a new thing, so getting out to some different locations to train before you trial would also be a really or helpful thing going to a trial and just training at the trial doing f e o or yeah going in and breaking it down exactly yeah, so I would say those are the those are the big things um then let's talk about training um I want to go back to the point that you made okay. about. Um, teaching the dogs the contacts because what a lot of people, I think that they sometimes don't realize that dogs. Uh, be, your goal for a target command. We'll let's talk specifically about targets here. Okay. Running contacts is a whole other beast, and we could do an entire podcast specifically on running contacts. So let's use targets as a mm-hmm. um, or stop contact is, is as two example. On, mm-hmm. The behavior of many names um, <laughs> is. People sometimes don't realize that that behavior should be trained in completely independently before it's tested. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is the dog should have the ability to go down and into position on a verbal without needing the handler to be in a specific position in relationship to them. And you um, said this a bit in other podcasts, and you say this all the time, because a lot of people end up running down and then they stop at the same time as where the, the dog, dog stops. stops.
1: Yeah, I call it the easy position yeah. the dog where, the, where the, the handler and the dog are correct all of the time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but that's very rarely what you're going to do when you're at a trial the course is going to force you either to be ahead or maybe to be lateral or be Mm -hmm. behind and the dog needs to be able to perform the
0: same criteria wherever you are as the handler regardless Mm -hmm. of where you are i always say to people too that the the benefit of having a stop contact is that it allows the handler to get into their next positional cue so that the next section of the course can be more easily mastered Mm -hmm. if your dog doesn't stop and your handler timing is related to the dog stopping and then the dog doesn't, the dog then gets into a position that you're not ready to handle because now they're further ahead or they're behind. The whole point of a stop contact is that the dog runs out of the end of the contact. They hold position. You continue running until you're in your proper positional queue and then you release them. Exactly. And in a perfect world, that should be done without the handler ever stopping. Handler stays in constant, complete motion. Dog stops and then they wait for the release and then they move forward. But handler does not stop. But what most people do is they slow down and they stop so that the dog stops. Yes. Yeah, well, so what's the, dog the benefit sto- then? Yeah, the dog's you don't get a head the start then. No. Like, <laughs> keep moving. Uh-huh. That's, that's the whole point. Um, but in saying that, when you're training... I think what a lot of people end up doing, especially when you're sequencing, is when you're in class, a lot of people uh, reward the dog a lot on the contacts, and then that breaks the... Um that breaks the flow the rhythm right it really does Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because then when people feed their dogs on a contact what do they usually do to release them they they break them
1: from where they're standing rather than going back and not not having motion
0: so the motion is what usually breaks them exactly (laughs) it's like a vicious circle (laughs) Uh yeah so what happens is people they run down to the end of the contact they stop human stops yeah go on and reward they go on reward and then they either from beside the dog, or they lead out and they stand still, and then they say, break, or okay, and they move at the exact same time. And this is what you were ex- explaining. You should embellish on it yeah. a little bit more, but this is where you get into trouble.
1: Yeah, so basically what we do to kind of proof that is we would move behind the dog, run forward, and as we're running, we would then release the dog into the next obstacle. Yeah, so the person's already in so, Yes, but what people do is they, they start moving, they stop, and then they start moving and saying, okay, at the exact same time, and then the dog is like okay the motion means that we move Yep, and that's when they break
0: dogs are much more naturally responsive to physical cues than they are to verbal cues just naturally so you have to be very careful that even though you think your release is the word okay your dog might think the release is you stopping and then starting again yes they this they is the most other. common release that we see but people don't know that that's their release. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) They're confused by that. And then what happens is if you do a trial and you continue running and you don't add your stop and then your remotion, the dogs are like, oh, I guess we're running. You you didn't do your cue. We're just going to (laughs) go. This is the time we keep (laughs) running. That's right. Yeah. So that's something to really think about. You have to kind of think about it from the dog's perspective. Uh, The other thing that really bugs me is when people... Oh, she's uh, got a bugaboo. I got a bugaboo. Well, you know, I don't like when people get (laughs) upset with dogs on something that they've inadvertently trained their dog to do. That makes me so angry because... The dogs literally are doing what they think they're supposed to do, and then, well, they, get re- yeah, then they get <laughs> reprimanded for mm-hmm. it. Makes no, it makes no sense. Mm-hmm. So what I mean specifically about this is if you have somebody who is not a consistent releaser, releaser mm-hmm. they early release or they stop and then they start again, and then the dog, you know, say, okay, go back and proof. They do the proofing things, and then they run the sequence again, and the dog self-breaks, and then they get angry. It's like, okay. It's not fair. The dog shouldn't break, Mm -hmm. but you have trained the dog to do this. Yeah. So now we just have to train better. We can't get mad at the dog because they're literally doing what they think they're trained to do. Mm -hmm. So you have to remember, nothing is the dog's fault. It's always your fault. (laughs) I say that with love, but it's never the dog's fault. It's always you. It's something that you've done. Usually with this, it's totally intentionally. Mm -hmm. People don't even know they're doing it. Um, But most of the time, it's the person, not the dog. And the,
1: and the unfortunate part, the more you do it, the more it will happen. Yeah. And if you're trialing in a high-minded state with a dog, it's going to be reinforced. Yeah. It's hard with a competition where you have lots of runs. They usually get worse by the end of the weekend, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless you're able to see it as being an issue and school them a little bit and do and basically forfeit
0: your run and do training. Yeah. Should we talk about that? Like what would happen um, if we were in a trial and our dog's sure. contact started to go, mm-hmm. we also will talk about like some of the training exercises that we do away from trialing, like when we're in class or when we're training on our own, we have a lot of proving exercises that we do to work through this. But let's talk about trials first. You're at a trial. Mm-hmm. Your dog is not holding their contacts. They're self-releasing or they're jumping over the contact. You're at a local trial. What's your response?
1: I abort mission and I go into training mode
0: mm-hmm.
1: immediately. Yeah. Um, so it's not the next run it's that run. As soon as when the, as soon as when the contact is broken, um, for my high-minded border collie, I would ask her to lie down and then go back and fix the end behavior of the
0: contact and then add the full contact. Yeah. In place. Okay. Love that you said that because this is another thing that people struggle with. Sometimes they will, and and, uh, what I should preface to say is sometimes, How you react to this is dependent on what organization you're training in Mm -hmm. uh, because some there's more rules about training in the ring. (laughs) However, if you have a dog that has contact issues, you should be selective as to where you're training with your dog because your dog's showing you they're not ready to be tested. Mm -hmm. So what you want to do is train your dog in a testing environment so that you can you can fix it. So what Jamie is saying that I think is really important is that if your dog breaks the contact, you don't just want to. So she's lying the dog down. And the reason why we do that or stopping the dog, you don't have to lie them down is so that they can't keep taking equipment. Right. And self reward. And that's, Going to be dog dependent. Yeah. Uh-huh. Good. Yeah. Good, good. Good. Yeah. And If you have um, a softy, you might not want to do that because mm-hmm. that might be a little bit too intense. And you're not like lie down. You're, no. like, you're not yelling. Just yeah, lie, just lie, lie down. down. Get your head. Yeah. Let me get my head. Yeah. We're gonna fix this
1: problem. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you want to just stop stop the moment from getting worse because it's there's no point in, it in trying to fix it when they've already done then a jump in a tunnel like they've just been reinforced for breaking.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you would have the dog jump onto the contact into their two on twelve position. Position, and then you could just pray verbally Verbal. plays calmly, calmly, good girl, good target. Yeah. That's better. Chill, yeah. but like powerful. And then repeat the whole piece of equipment and then praise like crazy when your dog is um, successful. Um, yeah. And then mm-hmm. what I might do in that moment is either A, I would continue or sometimes if I already failed the course, what do I care? I would actually release off the contact and run. To the finish and reward the dog outside the ring. Yeah, that's a great idea. Right? Yep, yep. Especially if it's, if it's like the third contact or whatever. Like, I don't really care if I finish the course now. I want to take an opportunity to, to reinforce. reinforce this. Uh-huh. So it might be, yeah, good girl. Okay, let's go get your toy. And uh-huh. then we run to the outside and then have a little play from there. So about the training is really, really important. Um, I don't think it's always really effective just to like lie the dog down and then continue on with some dogs because some dogs are just so... Excited to continue on that. That's reward in itself. They don't really get the message. No. Um, There has been a few cases where I have, I think I maybe did this with you. I can't really remember. Um, I recommended that people um, leave the course after. Mm -hmm. Like, but. How you do that is really important because this is, again, this is back to my bugaboo. (laughs) When, like, if you have caused the problem to happen and then your dog breaks the contact and so they've run off the contact and then the person's like, that's it. You're not playing anymore. Out you go. And then they, you know, bash the dog all the way to the outside, like being like, you're naughty. You're going in your crate. Like, I hate that. Like, don't punish the dog for something poor. One, you've horrible timing in that moment. And number two, take the opportunity to fix your problem and train the op- opportunity in that environment. Yes, like <laughs> you have a you have a wonderful moment presented to you, use it, and you're paying for it. That's right. You already paid your twenty five hundred dollars <laughs> to run your thirty second course, um, but yeah, you want to Don't. There's no point in 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 if you're going to choose the tactic to leave the ring so that you're not going to continue on with the course to not allow the dogs to continue rewarding. If you're going to do that, it needs to be with a dog that makes sense because some dogs. They don't care whether they continue or not. No. some dogs are like, oh my God, just let me keep going. But what you should do is fix your mistake before you leave, like what we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Have the dog go back in the contact, repeat the dog walk, and then leave on a success. Don't leave on a, I'm going to pick you up and walk you off, because your dog just did five or six behaviors. Like, how do they know which one? Which one you're upset with them? Was mm-hmm. it the dog walk? Was it the fact that they you know, sniff the grass when they got to the bottom. Like, what was it? You know what I mean? Like people, I think, forget about dog training in that moment. And then they're like, well, I keep walking him off and nothing gets better. It's because he doesn't know why you're walking him off and you're just being like it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. So you have to remember to dog train. I think that that's really, really important. And I'm not trying to condone walking your dog off a course when they make a mistake. I don't think that that should be a go-to for anybody. For some super crazy high-minded dogs that just want to like run around and self-reward like zoomies and things like that, I would walk that dog off course. 100%. But if I have a dog that is just too overzealous or things like that, I would just... Fix it, just manage, manage it. it, yep, and mm-hmm. then either continue or move on from there, but I would not do it with any anger motion emotion at all. I would just go into training mode mm-hmm. that's really important, um, I wanted to say something else about tri- about trialing, and i'm it's escaping me now hmm. mm, I don't remember, oh, I'm sure it'll come back to me, but I wanted just to touch base on I think you had mentioned this before about um like training in a trial setting. So maybe we can talk about the benefits of like getting into a fun match or going to a trial with an FEO and like how you would actually go into the ring. Like if you were signed up for FEO, what would that run look like for you?
1: Oh, well, I would break the course down. I obviously wouldn't be doing the whole course and I would really try to reward the good stuff and then not get after the dog, but Fix the things that are not so good, Um, and then don't let things go. Yeah, absolutely. Be very clear and consistent. Um, Try to have you know everything complement one another.
0: Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I love that. Um, we went to a, a trial last night and um, a coach of ours has a really young dog who's not done any contacts in a trial setting before and he missed his A-frame. Mm-hmm. And so instead of continuing to let him miss his A-frame contact, he's a running contact, um, he did FEO and he went, the A-frame was like obstacle 10 or something. He went walked right, in the ring. Yep. He went right to the A-frame. Perfect. He pre-placed the toy, did a couple down ramps, praised him, mm-hmm. rewarded him, got him on the right track and then did the little c sequence parts going up to the A frame dog hit the contact he rewarded them he rewarded the dog and then he went back to number 1 and got as far as he could before his time was up but Perfect. it was such a great learning opportunity for the dog uh-huh. and it wasn't like the dog was like screw you I'm not getting the contact he, he was, was like, getting rewarded right away yeah he had immediate success more rights than wrong yeah and he wasn't missing it because he was being bad he was missing it because he's an inexperienced dog mm-hmm. that doesn't really know any better yet so he yeah. needs to be trained in that moment and that's why it's kind of good to go to the
1: whole feo trials or fun matches before because then you get a bit of an idea of what kind of dog you get when you're in a trial it's very different than training yeah on your
0: own or in a class yeah maybe there's holes there that you didn't know that you had and it might make you um think about what you should be doing in your training Mm -hmm. sessions a little bit or maybe you know you
1: have a little bit of a gap in your your training and you're going there to to train on different equipment and fix that
0: yeah Absolutely. Mm. So once you've determined that there's a problem or if you've noticed that your dog's contacts are not as reliable in trialing as they are in training, the very first thing that I would personally look at is how well is the dog trained to do the contact in the first place? Mm-hmm. Like, because I think this goes back to like our, our last podcast, um, episode 12, <laughs> um, is having an expectation and really understanding like the per- like the progression of something, because sometimes when I help people that are having this issue and I look at their contact in training, most often than not, the contact's not up to the caliber that I would expect it to be in order to go to, to, go a, to a trial. trial like there's a little slow coming down. They don't have a lot of value to drive to the bottom. They're coming off to the side. Coming off to the side. They are maybe a bit distracted. They don't hold until they're released. Like there's already issues that are happening in that moment. And then you're taking that dog and putting it in a testing situation when the actual behavior is not super solidified in the first place. Mm. So that would be the first thing that I would look at is how how well does your dog actually know their job um, in the first place? And then think about why is your dog m- breaking their contacts or missing their contacts? Is it too high of mind? Mind? Is it too distracted? Is it that they don't really know what to do? Is it that they don't find going to the bottom of the contact and doing a target very valuable? Mm-hmm. I would say that's a big one, eh? Yeah, that's a huge one too. Mm-hmm. Um, too many quick releases. Too many quick releases or too many early releases. Mm-hmm. The dog just anticipates you're going to do something. So you got to look at the why so that you can kind of proof through it. So in training, um, when we're proofing contacts, there's um, there's a number of things that we'll do to prove the contacts. But first things first is we don't proof our dog's contacts. Again, we're still talking about stop contacts here. Um, some of this stuff will apply to running as well. But mm-hmm. um, we don't proof our dog's contacts until they're f- like trained to like actually do it. So if the dog doesn't have value for like driving down to the bottom of the contact, I wouldn't then be practicing running past them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I would make sure that I have a solid behavior and then I would start adding all the fancy stuff. Add more progressions. Yeah, because...
1: Moving off to the side, doing blind crosses at the end, which are always much more (laughs) (laughs) challenging for the dog.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Adding all of those things first. Um, and then you can add more proofing there. But there's a couple different proofing things that you could do. Um, number one, um, people are hesitant to do this, but like if you're having problems, go back to putting some of the training aids in mm-hmm. that you had before. Um, like a some, target plate. Target plate.
1: Sometimes a treat with
0: the target plate. Yes. Like go back, go back to the step where your dog is successful and then repeat that mm-hmm. until your dog has not been Back chaining, just doing the down. Yeah. Maybe a lower dog walk, depending on the dog. Yeah. How far back you have to go. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. you got to go way, way back. Mm -hmm. Um, But then some of the proofing things that you could do would be practicing um, running past the contact and then going back and rewarding them um, so that they're comfortable with the motion. Um, We do a lot of toy distractions where we will say target and then we'll throw the toy Mm -hmm. and the dog has to stop as the toy whips past them and then drops on the floor. All Mm -hmm. kinds of dogs will just self-release and grab the toy.
1: I also... So like the, the tugging on the end of the target. Yes. So, if the dog basically puts their foot off of the, the dog walk plank, then we stop tugging and then they have to problem solve to put their feet back onto the target mm-hmm. or onto the plank.
0: Yeah. And then the game ensues. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. The dog starts. And you actually, if once they learn that game, it's really fun because you can actually tug and then try to pull them off and then they kind of fight with you to keep their feet on and feel the
1: pressure yeah yeah, Mm -hmm. and
0: it's like a valuable like fun little thing for them to do at the end of the contact better to stay on than to come off that's right um so yeah there's lots of things you can do in terms of of your your proofing as well and it's not a terrible idea to go back to having your target played in when you do some of those proofing things so that there's a higher um, chance that your dog will be successful. Um, But the other thing too, is that even when you're in training, how you react to a dog uh, breaking their contact. So maybe not even missing the contact. I think, I think um, if your dog's got a target contact and they're fully missing all together, you've got a real problem on your hands and you need to go back and you need to do some training. If you have a dog that's self-releasing, that's a bit different to me because Mm -hmm. you're still getting the contact. And this is where it's a bit messier because you have some people are like, well, he's still getting the contact. Yes. It's like, okay, well, is that what you want? Like, is that, because what happens if he gets it with like four paws and like a couple months, it'll be three paws. And then a couple months, it'll be a toenail. And now you're full on missing. That's where creeperton starts. Yes. Oh, <laughs> let's talk about creeping. Let's talk about creepy creeper 10.
1: When, what, what we're talking about is that when the dog is doing the, the dog walk performance and then they get to the down ramp and they start slowly coming down and then they look at you and they take a few more steps mm-hmm. and then they get stuck.
0: (laughs) Then they get stuck and either jump from that spot or they go very Very slowly slowly. into position. And there's, in my opinion, there's two main reasons why this happens. Number one is the person's been inconsistent with where they release. So they've early released, they've released when the dog is somewhere, anywhere along the down ramp. So the dog comes down and they say, are you going to stay down? Is this the time? (laughs) (laughs) All the way down? Uh, Or the person hasn't um, built... value for the bottom of the contact Mm -hmm. enough or long enough or gone back in the last podcast that we talked about is if you get to a certain progression and you've come into a bit of a roadblock understanding how to recognize that there's an issue there and then backtrack quickly so that you don't have like a full-fledged problem on your hand yeah contacts are one of the really great um examples of that so yeah the creepy thing is is definitely uh difficult so when you have a creepy dog. <laughs> that sounds funny. Um, there's a couple mm-hmm. things that I would do. Uh, number one, go back to putting targets in or yeah. something to teach them to go down to something to make it a little bit more uh, valuable. Closer to the end of the dog walk. I should say this. Oh. Jame and I are really big believers. If you're teaching a stop contact, we only use the method of using teaching the dog to drive down to a target plate. We do not teach just the simple two on two off. Oh, yeah. We do not find you get the same speed. You don't get the best head placement. You don't get the best drive to the bottom. You also can't fix it the easiest. Mm -hmm. Um, So we or the setback. In the, in the rear. Rock back in the mm-hmm. rear. Absolutely. So, yeah. So if you're having trouble with your contacts and you've not trained a nose target, I've had all kinds, especially like my online students who didn't do their foundation training with me and like their contacts need work, I make them go back and reteach the target. Mm-hmm. And usually they're back on track before too long. It's not it's, a hard behavior no. to train. Well,
1: it's very clear which behavior that, that you want from the dog. They go down, they put their nose on the target.
0: Yeah. A the one. other thing that I really like about it is that it separates the uh, dog from the human because the dog has a task mm-hmm. that can be independently done from the human. So it's easier to get the handler further away and working more independently. And where squares them up on the end yes. too. like keeps them straight on rather than coming off to the side. Without the influence of the yes. person. But uh-huh. when you're doing two on off, typically that person has to be closer to kind of manipulate the dog mm-hmm. into that position. And then the person becomes more of the part of the equation which Mm -hmm. we don't want um i was going down a different direction and then i spun it oh oh no, no no like before before i remember what it was it was if you're in class and the dog um uh self-releases versus like jumps off the contact how we would address that and we kind of talked about this in the competitions um but i think it's good to go over it again so if your dog self-releases and you can catch them in the act of doing that stopping them before they can go and self-reward with taking other obstacles or even just so running around helpful. yes or turning back and like barking at yes. the person and being like woohoo this is fun oh, look what i did yeah no. it, it can't be fun not fun <laughs> Uh-huh. You have to just like stop them. You don't have and to be also, angry, I but think stop them. The
1: handler has to be aware of how you are as well and your energy. You don't want to be high, yeah. um, even when they've done something wrong, because that highness will excite them. And then it doesn't
0: really go about what you're trying to say to the dog. Yeah. <laughs> and it might not help them stop the next time because no. now they're like buzzed. No. Yeah. So stop them. And then calm. it's a good idea to have them get back up on to the contact in that moment. Don't do the whole contact okay. yet. Go back onto the contact. But what should they never do oh. when that happens that they always do? No treats. Don't Please. Feed your dog then. Yeah, no. it's so confusing because what happens is the dog says, okay, I break. I jump on the end of the contact and you can feed me. Yeah. And then it becomes, I'm a great second round contact dog. Mm-hmm. But that's not their fault. It's because of the information. You got to remember guys, agility needs to include... Dog training. Mm-hmm. It's dog training first. You've got to think about how the dog's thinking because that's how you're going to progress forward or stay where you are yeah. or make more mistakes.
1: And I always say that too with um, people that say the double command, yeah. target, target. And then they go in and reward after they've said target 3 million times because the dog actually did it. I wouldn't treat for that. No. I would give, okay, yeah, you got it. Good job. Yeah. But I would give the treats when they went down to the target
0: immediately Right away. Yeah. The food needs to be given for, or toy or whatever you're using, it doesn't need to be food, Um, but it needs to be given for your dog meeting what the criteria criteria that you're looking for. So often in dog training, people will often say like, reward your dog or praise your dog. Um, I know from teaching that I try to be really careful about using the word reward with people because they automatically assume that they need to give the dog a physical reward. Mm. So I try my best to say praise praise or reward mm-hmm. um, so that people know. And sometimes if I say praise and the people go to reward, then I'm like, nope, nope, stop, 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 stop. And I have to talk to them about uh-huh. this is what praise means because we're not going to be like, ah, you bad dog. No, good, good try. Was- yeah, good. That's better. Good girl. I might go touch. I might give affection. Uh-huh. I might pet, I might do lots of positive reinforcement. We're still going to give positive reinforcement because we need to then say, that was wrong, but this is what I'm looking for. Good dog. But then when you circle around again and the dog stops, they drive down nicely, they do their thing, then go in with your jackpot reward, which could be food, it could be excitement, tugging, it could be release to tug, Mm. it could be all kinds of things, but it it needs to be clear what you're looking for because sometimes how people address the mistakes on the contact can lead to more confusion mm-hmm. and then um, you're no you're no further ahead exactly mm-hmm. um I was just thinking about some of the other things that we've done that that have been kind of fun to proof for our, our dog's contacts over the years mm. like um like we've played loud loud music in the arena to like bring the excitement up, although we play music in our classes quite often, so I don't think that that's weird for our students anymore. Um, Or like um, the energy of the people getting everyone to cheer. Yeah, we have everybody Mm. start clapping while the dog's on the start line and cheering. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you can see the dogs like just getting higher. Or um, I know, especially if we're training for like Worlds, for example, one of the things I was so surprised with with Worlds is uh, sometimes the judge would run the contact with your dog so that they could see the contact Mm -hmm. and that would totally mess (laughs) up. dogs up because they'd be like, whoa, why is there like, another <laughs> person running? Um, but sometimes we would do that just to proof them. So mm-hmm. like the handler would run their dog and we would sprint the dog walk on the other side and then be like, ready, go, 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 and then keep running. And then the dog would have to be focused on the handler um, and stop. That was a really good one, especially if the dog's problem was that when they were high minded, they couldn't. Have Mm -hmm. self control. Um, It was also really effective for building motivation. Motivation. Uh (laughs) If they need a little bit more excitement, but that was a good thing as well. Um, The other thing that I think can be really helpful in training that can help trialing is you don't have to reward every time your dog gets the contact Mm -hmm. because that also is. It looks so much like you're in training mode then. If Mm -hmm. you got your bait bag on, if you got your toy in your hand, you got your treats in your hand, every every time time your dog stop, Mm -hmm. you feed the dog and then you have the same thing. None of those things are replicated in a trial. You don't have your bait bag. You don't have your toy. You don't have your treats in your hand. You like, it looks so different. Sometimes the reward is just moving forward into the next obstacle. Yeah. And that can be a great reward for some dogs. Mm -hmm it also can get you into trouble oh, as well. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, and then the other thing that I was going to say is I know from time to time when we have like, um, like with our classes, like we, we will have contacts like in sequences, but several times in the session we will have stations that are specifically proofing contacts. Uh-huh. And so we will have people sometimes particularly practice quick releases and you're mm-hmm. we always so surprised at how terrible people are at quick releases. Mm-hmm. Because lots of times they'll run around and then you'll have to say, was that a quick release or did you do an early release? And they're like, no, no, I quick release. And you're like, nope, your dog was at the top of the yellow when you said okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why it's so helpful to like do those things because if you're not practice at the timing of a quick release and you're only ever quick releasing at a trial, it, it would make sense why you wouldn't be good at it because mm-hmm. it, it's a very particular timing, isn't it? Exactly. You have to be able to see the criteria and then verbally release all while running at the same time and making sure you're not too early. And But also if you're in a competition, you don't want your standing there for, forever uh-huh. at the same time. So you do need to practice that timing in training. But you also have to recognize that if you do... A sequence, like we do this a lot too. So we'll do a sequence that has the contacts in it. We and we'll did, did you just do it? Yeah, this this week. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. So you do a quick release on the first pass, you do a quick release on the second pass, and then you do a hold on the third one. Mm-hmm. And most dogs will self release. Mm-hmm. And then you have an opportunity to catch them and work through it in a class environment so that the dog learns. Okay. I'm, sometimes I'm that, that is hard to, happen. to get the so dogs hard. to break. Yes. in class because they're,
1: you know, being they consistent.
0: Know. Mm-hmm. They know.
1: We went so far as having, do you remember this? This was a few years ago, as having a contact jar, like a swear jar, <laughs> When, I totally forgot do, about do that. Do you remember that? Yes, I do now. I don't so, remember
0: exactly the premise. but So I do remember we basically
1: what we had people do, it wasn't much, but it kind of put pressure on people and made people more aware of their contacts. So if their dog missed a contact or they early, they, they early released, they had to put like 25 cents in the jar. Oh yeah. did we like buy
0: something at the end <laughs> yeah, or I we got remember. like prizes or something? Mm-hmm. I do remember that. Um, and I think that was actually when we started doing that, I think it was around the time that we were starting to prep all of our students for like a regionals, regionals. Uh-huh. right yeah and then we were trying to have a conversation about like okay what's everybody's goals like who wants to go to regional championships this year like where's everybody at and it was really helpful for us to know because those students that were interested in going to some of these higher level competitions it was easier for us to call them on their their mishaps yeah in class. because sometimes they don't even realize that no, it's happening you gotta have somebody keep you accountable a hundred percent yeah, I mean everybody does. Yeah, there's so so great to have somebody be like you. Kind of early release that you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because it, you know sometimes you just get caught up in the moment, and... or you're thinking about the sequence and not really thinking about yeah. the contact. Yeah, mm-hmm. contacts are are really really hard. Um, I think that it's something. Um, contacts in my opinion contact training and i think this goes for running contacts and stop contacts is i don't believe it's one of those behaviors in agility that you train and then it has a lifetime of of um
1: reliability lasting Lasting, Mm -hmm. exactly
0: i think it depends on needs to be maintained oh my god especially for those of you who are trialing on a more regular basis there needs to be content uh, contact maintenance training done Mm -hmm. in between the trials um one of the um uh, Podcast that that we're, we have on our list of to do is to talk about like weekend warriors and those um, the repercussions of just doing trials all the time without training in between and I would say contacts is a mm-hmm. big thing that falls into that because people just they're not as consistent with, with contacts in a trial rightly. So, I mean, I totally get why Mm -hmm. it's hard, but if you're not then training your contacts between to proof things and to prepare, it's hard to have that, that reliability. I know for me, um, I mean, I had a trial this weekend and I did some handling training early in the week and then I wanted to kind of give, give her a little bit of a break. Um, but then I just went in and I did contact training. I just did teeters. I just did dog walks. I just did frames. I rewarded her up. I got her, you know, got her ready, got her feeling good about what she knew. And then I went to the trial and Mm -hmm. then now my trial's over. And this week I'm going to do another contact session and make sure that I'm, tweaking things that need to be tweaked. And that happens on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. I, you know, you do this as well. Like we train isolated contacts. How many times a month would you say? Oh, I don't know. Like once a week, maybe? Yeah, probably. Almost And then the other thing too,
1: is if we're going to a trial or a big competition, that's the, the week before that's what our focus is. It's Absol- not necessarily, the little stuff. yeah, it's not necessarily, you know, doing the big sequences, it's doing the finessey stuff and fixing, you know, yeah. contacts. And,
0: and this is where our proofing stuff would come mm-hmm. in that we mentioned earlier in the podcast. This is where I would be practicing running past and doing a blind and then going back and tugging with her on the contact. This is where I would be, be doing a couple quick releases and then see if she'll hold after. This is where I would be um, practicing lateral distance and then rewarding. it. It would be like, I'm going to test you but then I'm going to reward you like crazy for being a good girl. Mm -hmm. So that you want to build the dog's confidence up in what their job is before going into a competition or a trial. You don't want to be setting the dog up to – be wrong and having to correct their mistake or fix their mistake. You don't want to have a lot of those repetitions before going into a trial because that doesn't instill confidence in, in you You, you are the or dog. the dog. Yeah. So it should be proofing in a way that your dog, they can make a few mistakes. That's totally fine, but it should be mostly like, here's what wins. The, yeah. Here's what the good stuff is. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be a better way to, to go in. But, um, it can be hard. And I guess, I don't know if we want to say much more, but one of the things, one of the pieces of advice that I will give to people sometimes, and I, I've heard you say this as well, people don't always like this advice, is if you have gone to a couple competitions and it hasn't really been going well, stop trialing. Yeah. Stop trialing. Stop going and rehearsing. If your dog is showing you that they're not ready to be tested in that moment, Stop testing them. Mm-hmm. Go back to the drawing board and go back and do it. Because I think sometimes people are so hung up on going to this event or getting this cue or getting this title that they end up sacrificing their dog's skills. And if you do that too long and you get further and further away from, you know, what you're hoping that your dog can do in a dog walk or a frame or a teeter totter, then it's harder to get back. So sometimes you've got to miss the fun stuff to go back to the drawing board mm-hmm. so that when you do... Progress to going back to competitions, you, you know, you can do it with success Mm -hmm. because it is, it is hard to deal with those things, but not everybody likes to make that sacrifice. Or I guess the same thing goes if you're at a trial and it's not going well, sacrifice your run yeah you know train that, yeah go into training mode go into fixing mode don't just you know go through it and again it all just depends on your expectations we talked mm-hmm. about this in the last podcast you got to decide what's right for you we would recommend that you have high expectations because if you want to play agility for a long time you need reliability in order to do that so um we would recommend that you abort mission on the trial and and, and not go home but uh-huh. like train instead yeah. instead of test and let's be
1: honest the more success that you have the It's fun. Yeah, absolutely. It's Mm -hmm.
0: frustrating to, you know, lose cue after cue because your dog's jumping off the contact and turning Mm -hmm. and barking at you. Yeah. So you've got to remember with dogs is you, you don't want to repeat the same thing wrong too many times because then that becomes the thing. Yeah. Dogs learn through repetition. It doesn't matter. It's not, it's not, it's not dog learn through repetitions of success. They mean, they do do that, but they also learn through repetitions of, of, um, the behaviors you don't want. What's the opposite <laughs> of success? Failure. Failure. Yeah. Oh my, God. <laughs> my brain like went totally blank there. Um, yeah. So they also learn through repetitions of failure. If you do something wrong five or six times in a row, the dog is likely to repeat that same behavior. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you want to try and change something, adapt something so that you especially
1: if you're get back on the right track. Like reinforcing it too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, like we said before, I think we said proofing like eight times in a row. We'll say it. Proofing. proofing, proofing. That's an even. <laughs> there we go. Even number. I like even numbers. Um, so hopefully, you have found that that um, a couple of those tips helpful on how to um, create more consistency and reliability between your contacts in training and in trialing. And again, we did focus most of our talking about uh, the target um, style of contacts or to on to off or however stop contacts um, because I think that that's probably the most common style of um, contact training there is. And really, um, you you fix things very similar by not continuing on yes with running contacts yes yes absolutely Mm -hmm. but we could do an entire another podcast on running contacts and how we feel (laughs) about them (laughs) maybe we'll wait because it's a little bit more controversial (laughs) Um, anyways we hope that you guys are feeling inspired um, by these podcasts about from this episode and our other episodes our point is to kind of get you guys thinking about things from different perspectives thinking about the dog training side of things you know like I said before like agility is really a lot about dog training and the more you know about dog training the better your agility is going to be. Um, and then we also want to inspire you to get out and train. Like I, we want you to feel like after listening to this podcast, I need to go and train my contacts. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what we're hoping for because it's all about training. Jame and I love, we love trialing, but we love training mm-hmm. and we love training. And that's how, um, that's how you get better. And that's how the trialing and the competitions, Get easier. Improve. You know, the better, the better you get at home, the better you'll, you'll be elsewhere. So um, remember to um, listen. We have all kinds of podcasts. This is podcast number 13. 13. Good job, James. <laughs> um, so we have lots of other topics that you can go back and check out. Um, you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, everything, basically. Um, and don't forget to uh, subscribe or like our channel because then you'll get notified when we um, post new ones. And we post new episodes every other Friday. Uh, okay thanks for listening everybody we hope you have a great upcoming contact training session let us know how it goes and uh, let us know if there's any other topics that you want to hear from us Um, happy training everybody thanks for listening to our mccann dogs agility podcast if you'd like to learn more about us check out the links in the show notes below on that note happy training